All right, tonight we will finish up what we've been doing this week on the podcast for the Bible study exercise. Uh, for those listening online or anyone here who will be participating in the next Bible study exercise, we're going to be using the uh, comprehensive book Bible study method to work on the book of Amos. So that includes the uh, book background method, the book survey method, the chapter analysis method, and the book synthesis method all combined together in one method. So I've already taught all of those this week. So all those methods are posted and ready to go. And then today I introduced uh, the new study and then how we're going to be going step by step using all of those uh, Bible study methods. So that's what we'll be doing starting this week. But today we have to finish what we've been working on, which we've been working on if you, if you kind of go back to what, a couple of weeks ago, we started in Luke 10 and trying to figure out who is our neighbor. Then we talked about 1 Corinthians 13 and the uh, requirement of loving our neighbor. Then we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 2 in regards to praying for our neighbor. Then, to, uh, this week, we looked at Matthew chapter 18 and forgiving our neighbor. So, that's what we've been working on. So, but we're not going to go to Matthew 18 right now. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. And there's a reason why. Matthew chapter 5. I mean, if you just start reading in the New Testament, I mean, I mean, you could really, you could start anywhere in the Bible, but if you start reading uh, in, in the Gospels, it does not take you very long to obviously, in Matthew, you come into contact with what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, starting in Matthew chapter 5. Yes? Okay, and it doesn't take us very long that something happens, all right? We are confronted with the words of Jesus, and almost immediately, we start saying, well, 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 it can't mean this, it can't mean that, it can't mean this, it can't mean that, because the standard that he gives seems to be far greater, not only than what we think we can do, it's far greater than what we want to do, and I'll, I can show you that. It does not take long to find it in Matthew chapter 5, but go to, uh, go to Matthew chapter 5. We could just start in verse 21. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Everyone will say amen to that, right? But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. And so what do we immediately try to do? Well, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, I've been angry at people and I've said things, but, but I don't think, I, I, there's no way Jesus can mean that I couldn't be upset in that particular situation. And we start trying to find a way to excuse it, do we not? I think we can all agree that we do so. Maybe you disagree. If we continue on, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. All right, in fact, let's go to Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, what do we do immediately when we come to that verse? Well, it can't mean that if someone hits me, it can't mean if someone tries to attack me, it can't mean if someone tries to break it. No, 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 it can't mean that. 
right? So we come up with all the things it can't mean, and then we find a way to make it mean something that we can what? That we can handle. Something that we can do, right? We, we got we to make it something that we can do because we are confronted. And it's weird that we do that because I think we misunderstand what is going on. In fact, let me just show you how difficult this can be. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Matthew 5, 48. What does it say? Be perfect. Now, I am still to this day amazed that churches all across the United States of America doesn't seem to understand that verse. Because if you're reading the Sermon on the Mount and you get after all the things he says before that, love your enemy, turn the other cheek, resist not evil, and we're immediately going, well, no, he couldn't mean that. He couldn't mean that. No, he just means if, if someone says something mean to you, because if someone hits you, you can defend yourself. If someone, we come up with a million excuses, right? And anytime I talk about it, usually someone will walk up and go, well, I just don't think Jesus meant that. I'm like, well, it's congratulations. Because I don't think it really matters what you think he meant or what I think he meant. It's what he meant, right? Well, when you get to this verse, this should stop you and go, wait a minute, something's going on here. Because he just says that we have to be... Anybody ever accomplish that? So immediately we understand we should what Jesus is doing. What is Jesus doing in the Sermon on the Mount? Let me help you. Everybody in this church needs to know this, right? Okay? And I, and yeah, I know you're saying, what does this have to do with, with the Bible study this week? It has everything. So let me explain. In the Old Testament, there was a law given. What was that law? Okay, okay. Everybody may at least get that. You can call it the law of Moses or you can call it the Ten Commandments. At least the Ten Everybody should know that law, right? The Ten Commandments. And you can look at the Ten Commandments and there's a tendency to say, well, I can pull that off, right? I can do that. Jesus comes along and really, in a sense, expresses the deeper meaning of the the Ten Commandments. In fact, the entire Sermon on the Mount is really kind of an exposition and giving a deeper understanding of the Ten Commandments. And what is Jesus basically saying on the Sermon on the Mount? That obedience to the Ten Commandments goes beyond just your external action, but it goes to your internal attitudes, your internal emotions, your internal feelings and desires. And by the time you get, I don't know, five minutes into the Sermon on the Mount, you probably are going to say what? I, well, you would think everyone would say, but in the American church, we're like, you can do it, you better do it. If you don't do it, you're not saved. I, which is, I just don't understand how we can do that, but we've all been guilty of that, right? So what we have to come to the conclusion is, is that the Sermon on the Mount is designed to demonstrate Our lack of perfection, our imperfection, our inability, and drive us to whom? The one who preached the sermon. Because everything he preached, he obeyed. And by faith in Christ, his obedience becomes whose obedience? My obedience. So we have to understand it from that perspective. But because we have this tendency, if it's a command that we don't think we can do, If it's a command that looks too difficult, we change it. We excuse it. And we're destroying the entire concept, the very important concepts of law and gospel. How do you know if a passage is law? 
Now, this kids in a Lutheran church are supposed to know how to do this. So everybody in this church should definitely know how to do this. This is like elementary kid stuff, all right? How do you know when a passage is law? It says you must do or don't do. Okay? That is law. How do you know when a passage is gospel? When it talks about what Christ has done. The law passages shows you what God demands, which makes you realize I'm in trouble. The gospel passages tell me my hope is in what Christ has done. Law and gospel. Gospel is to drive me to Christ. Gospel is not to be, oh, this is what I have to do to prove something. No, it prove, it, it, it's not for you to prove something. It proves something about you. Every command of Scripture proves you don't obey. Just like I don't obey. We're all guilty, right? And so our only hope is in what Christ has done. But we have a tendency to take the law verses, and if we think they're too difficult or we don't like them, we start going in and doing what? Changing them up. Changing. Oh, I can do that. Okay, I can, I can do I got that. I got that. I can do that. That's, we saw that, if you go back to the beginning of this study on our neighbor, remember when uh, they, Jesus, that person asked about, in a sense, kind of what can I do to have eternal life and started having the conversation in Luke 10 and Jesus says, love your neighbor, right? And then what did immediately the person say? Who is my neighbor? Hey, if you say love my neighbor, and I got to love my neighbor as yourself, well, the more, if I can limit who is my neighbor, I have a greater chance of accomplishing it, right? If almost anyone is my neighbor, I'm in trouble, but if I can say one person who lives, they ha- you, there's a measuring stick. They, they have to live at least, you know, I don't know, 20 feet within your, then, then that's your neighbor. But if you can just move your house just a little bit over, they're no longer your neighbor. Like, you know, you ain't got to come over the way because I got to limit people. Right? The, the fewer people I have to love, the greater chance of success. The more people, but that, and we almost laugh at him doing that. We do the same thing. Wait a minute. You want me to turn the other cheek? Wait a minute. You don't want me to resist evil? Wait a minute. You want me to just love those? You, Jesus doesn't want you to be a doormat. Have you ever heard that? Right? We, we come up with all the excuses. No, he's giving us a standard that we don't keep. Now, why am I mentioning all this? Because there is one subject that we almost have an emotional response to. And that is found in Matthew chapter 18. And that's what we've been working on all week. Because I'm going to tell you, there's no one in this room who likes this subject. And I'll put me at the top of the list. Now, most people, even the curriculum for the Bible study exercise completely left out the first part of this because everyone does. But it's all one unit. So you have to study Matthew 18. You've got to go from 15 to 35. If you leave any of it out, you've destroyed it. Okay? So where does it start off with? Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against you. 
Let's start right here. What does it begin with? Someone doing something against you. Right? Someone doing something against They've sinned against you. They've lied. They've hurt. They're gossiped, slandered, stole something, broke something, deceived you, betrayed you. You name whatever it is. Okay? We all, everyone in the world can relate to someone hurting you in some way, shape, or form. Everyone can relate to it. Some of you have got horrific stories. Some of you may have a smaller story. Your story that bothers you the most may seem insignificant to someone else. It's irrelevant. It's, I want you to think of who has done something. That, I mean, you probably immediately when you talk about someone sinning against you or hurting you, it can probably come to your mind relatively quick. Would everyone agree with that? Real quick, I can think of some specific situations, right? Boom, right there. Okay, so we, everyone is familiar with this. This is not some, this is not theoretical, something that's off in a seminary classroom. This is practical everyday life. Because as long as you live in this life, someone's going to hurt you. Someone's going to trespass against you. Someone is going to do something to you, right? So what do you do when someone sins against you? The biblical models, you go tell them their fault, Between thee and him alone. The concept is, where do you go? You go to the individual. You don't go to anybody else. You don't go to Twitter. You don't go to Facebook. You don't go to TikTok. You don't go anywhere. You just go to the person and you say, hey, you hurt me. If they say, I'm sorry, I apologize, what are you supposed to do? Okay, we just go ahead and write that down. I'm supposed to forgive. Just, you can just write that down. All right, I'm supposed to forgive. If they don't repent, what are you supposed to do? Bring two or three witnesses. If they won't repent, then what do you do? Verse 16, he will not hear thee, then take with thee uh, two or more, then in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established, and he shall not. And if he neglect to hear them, take it to the church. If he neglects to hear the church, let him be as a heathen and as a publican. This is how, now this is how to deal with a fellow Christian who has hurt you. Within a church. This doesn't work for anybody else, right? So this is a, but it's still dealing with what? Someone doing something against you, and you've got to find a way to reconcile it. Within Christianity, within a church, this is how it's supposed to work. Outside of the church, it, there, there's, it's not going to be this easy, right? Not, it's going to be, it, that's messy enough, is it not? It's even more messy when you get outside of the church and how to handle it, right? So he goes through all of this, right? So, you've got people hurting each other. Now, there's a lot more here. Just want to make sure we correct something because everyone messes a couple of things up. First, in verse 18, this is just free. I won't charge you for this. The binding and loosening in verse 18 is not binding Satan or loosening Satan. It's not binding cancer or loosening cancer. What's the binding and loosening in 18? The church discipline. You bind someone... By, by, remo- by, in a sense, church disciplining them. And how do you loosen them? Forgive. All right? And then, everyone rips the next part out of context. Where there are two or three gathered in my name. Right? You'll hear people say that. Well, two or three are here. Okay, this is referring two or three in church discipline. If two or three are gathered in church discipline, Christ is saying, I will be there to recognize the discipline. Does that make sense? I don't know how these verses get so ripped out of context, but they do. All right, everybody got that? But who is listening to this conversation? 
Peter. Peter is listening and he's like, wait a minute. That sounds like if I go to them and they say, I'm sorry, I have to forgive. Wait a minute. What if they keep coming back? Okay. There's, so immediately Peter's like, I, I think we, I, I need, I need, we need to work on this. We got we to gotta find a way to limit this, right? Because if we don't limit this, I, I, I'm not seeing myself forgiving people after a couple of times, right? Bobby smacks me in the face. I forgive you. He smacks me in the face. And then I think maybe I'm done. Agreed? Oh, come on. Don't act spiritual. Okay, most of you, he, as soon as he got ready to raise the hand, he'd be gone. Okay, so at least I'm letting him hit me twice. See, I'm more spiritual than you. Okay, all right? Ever, right? Okay, no, nobody agrees. All right. So Peter's listening, and then what does he say? <laughs> Peter cracks me up here. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times? He's like, but Peter's got to pick a number here, right? Okay, I mean, it can't be more than seven, right? I mean, come on. I mean, seven? That's got to be the limit. That's got to be the limit. Now, has anyone ever been in any kind of a relationship Child to parent, parent to child, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, any kind of relationship. Can you put a limit of seven times? I mean, if you were in a relationship with me, you could. I mean, I may make one mistake in a lifetime. Okay, what? Okay, now, we're going to have to talk about women being silent in the church, but okay. All right, and unsubmissiveness and all kinds of other sins, but you see, I'm the one doing all the forgiving, okay? But you get the idea. If the, the closer proximity you are to people, the greater the number becomes. Did everybody hear that? The closer in proximity you are to a person, the larger the number will be required. Yes? That's the way it works. If you're friends, forgiveness, you're going to be forgiving a lot. If you're not friends, you can kind of do what? Well, you know, I'm kind of done with that. Just move on with my life. And you don't have to keep forgiving because you're no longer in contact with them. But if you're in close proximity, the closer you are in proximity, the greater the number will become and how many times you have to forgive. And we do we like that? We don't like that. But Peter probably thinks Jesus is going to be like, Peter, seven times? That's ridiculous. Three times at most. Because he wouldn't be asking the question that way. You can almost see what he's trying to do. He's doing the same thing you would try to do. Wait, 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 wait. He can't mean that there's just no way. Do you think he's excited about the answer? <laughs> Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now, some, t- some say that the, uh, in the Greek it should just be 77 times. But the point is, what is Jesus trying to say with either 7 times 7, 77 times, whatever, however you want to, to read it. What is Jesus really trying to say here? Just keep forgiving. Just keep forgiving. Now, the minute we hear that, what do we start doing? Well, okay, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, all right, okay, you can give me the 77, but there's got to be some, like, rules here, right? So, when do I forgive? Like, okay, if Bobby keeps hitting me, then is he really sorry? 
So after four or five times, that's got to be enough. It, even though Jesus said forgive 77 times, Bobby's not doing the right thing to show that he's really sorry. And if he's not really sorry, uh, then my forgiveness can stop. We start trying to come up with every solution in the world, right? We don't like this. We don't like it at all. So we start trying to find a way to work it. So what do we try to do? We try to redefine what forgiveness is. So this week, we spent time on the podcast trying to figure out what forgiveness is. We looked at four Greek words. Let me just ask you a question. Now, if you listen to the podcast, you already know the answer. But it, we're not, I don't have time to go back and review it all, okay? Because we, my job is to finish this tonight. But does anybody know where forgiveness first shows up in the Gospel of Matthew? Forgive or forgiveness? Where do you think it first shows up in the Gospel? Of Matthew. Of Matthew. And, and, and our New Testament, that's the first book. Forgive or forgiveness? Where does it show up? First place. Mentions forgive or forgiveness. You can either just start looking or you can just grab the Blue Letter Bible out and type in the word forgive or forgiveness. Matthew 6. Hmm. What if I was to tell you that's wrong? You want to know where it shows up first? Nope. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. All right. Matthew chapter 4. I see. I've got to go from memory here. Matthew chapter 4. Look at verse, uh, verse 20. Matthew 4.20. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. The Greek word that's translated left, guess what it's typically translated? Forgive. So this begins to give us an idea of what forgiveness is. They left their nets. They left it. They left it and followed him. Forgiveness involves just leaving it. Here it is. You've done wrong. You've hurt me. I'm leaving it. Right? Just like they released those nets. They let it go. They, in a sense, released it. That's what forgiveness is, is releasing it. You're not holding on to it. You're not carrying it. But I love the imagery here because you're letting go and doing what? Following Christ. If you don't, now from a biblical, theological, from a Christian perspective, this is important. You can't forgive unless you're following Christ. And here's the reason why. Because if you don't follow Christ, what are you going to focus on? The net you just dropped. But if you leave the net and turn and follow Christ, are you, forget, you are not focusing on what you just left. You're focusing on something else. And forgiving is very hard because we like to do what? Carry it with us and remember it. Now, there's other Greek words. We don't have time to go through all the Greek words and study all the Greek words. All of the study is online. We, we, you, can, you can go listen. So we kind of put it together this way. Forgiveness is graciously letting go of an offense. 
Forgiveness is graciously letting go of an, an offense and following Christ. Graciously letting go. Now, why do we use the word graciously letting go? Forgiveness is based off grace. It's not based off merit. It's not based on whether they deserve it. You are forgiving graciously and following Christ. Now, we can go through all the Greek words, but we don't have time. That kind of gives us a picture, right? You're letting go, graciously letting go. Now, when you, now let me make it very clear. When you let go in, in a gracious way, are you saying that what the person did was right? Are, are you saying, you're, you're not in any way saying that what they did to you was right? You're not saying it was justified? You, in fact, you're saying that what you did was wrong, but I'm graciously letting it go, and I'm going to follow Christ. If you don't, if you don't let go, in a sense, it hinders your ability to follow Christ because you're almost trying to pull whatever's in the net. Instead of looking to Christ, right, you're trying to pull it. It's, it may be hard to try to pull it this way, so you usually start backing up, right? In a sense, you're not even looking. You're focused on what you will not let go. And it's not always easy. There's nothing easy about it. I can, only use what, I can only use what I know. So I have to use things that you, I've told you before. But most of you know my childhood was messed up beyond all human comprehension, right? Don't want to go through all those horrible, 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 horrible stories. Most of you know that uh, my mother died when I was uh, young. And then most of you know that I then took a gun and tried to kill myself and ended up in a psychiatric, psychiatric hospital for eight weeks. Not a good story, is it? And guess what I was told I needed to do? Forgive my mom. Not so easy. So I had to write a letter to forgive. Now, just to show you how angry I was, when I walked across the graduation stage at the gym right there in Tuscola, Texas, I immediately left my graduation got in my car, went straight to the Buffalo Gap Cemetery, climbed over the fence, walked to my mother's grave, took my high school diploma, threw it at the grave and said, you couldn't stop me! Because she tried to get me to quit high school. Does that sound like forgiveness? No, that sounds like what? Bitterness, right? Okay, so it, I still had major issues, but I had to write a letter. And I took that letter to the cemetery and I had to read it. Do you think it was, do you think I just easily just let it go? No. And what I love about the disciples is they, they leave the nets, right? But later on, they want to go back to the nets, don't they? It's not easy to let go. So nobody is pretending that it is. But now, this is important. I want you to see it's not easy. It's not easy because Jesus doesn't give us standards that are easy. He really gives us standards that are impossible. But we are to pursue this. Now, I can't go back through everything, but go back to Matthew 18 because this is our goal tonight. All right, now I got 30 minutes. All right, perfect time. 
Here we go. So Jesus tells them 70 times 7. And immediately we all, what we start, man, nobody likes that. I mean, give me a break. 70 times 7. Now, in some ways, I felt like I had to forgive my mom like, you know, a thousand, a million times a million for everything, okay? But, and I'm not even, look, I want to make it very clear. I can't even tell you for sure if I've completely forgiven her even to this day. That's a lot of years later, right? I've lived most of my life without a mom. I live... I've lived more of my life without a mother than I did with a mother. Okay, but those years with the mother uh, has left some very deep scars that are not easily just, you just able to just let it go. But I'm supposed to graciously leave the net, but I'm to do so by following Christ. I cannot leave, if, if any definition of following Christ, or if any definition of forgiveness leaves out the concept of following Christ, it's, it's not going to work. It's, it's human psychology, right? Human psychology says you forgive for what reason? For your own benefit. The Christian thing is I graciously forgive so that I can follow Christ. I graciously forgive because that's what I'm called to do. Right? But the following Christ is key because if I'm following something else and pursuing something else, I'm not looking back at that. I'm not looking back at that. I'm not looking back at what happened. I'm trying to look forward and following Christ. The minute, the minute you're not pursuing that, well, look, if you're not following Christ, what are you following? Self. Now, guess what happens when you follow self? You become preoccupied with everything anyone's ever done wrong to you. <laughs> Do you not? Right? You become the God that everyone has offended. And you're ready to unleash judgment on everyone who has offended that God. If you're not following Christ, you become the God and everyone better serve you. And you will pronounce judgment on those who don't. Following Christ, you stop following self. Does that make sense? All right, so. What does Jesus do right after he answers the question in verse 22? He tells the story. He tells the story. If he just left it at the story, we wouldn't have any problems. But he doesn't stop. I don't know why he just doesn't leave it at the story. Look at the end of the story. And I'm like, Jesus, stop. Don't say that. Look at the verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from the heart forgive not everyone his brother their trespass. Now, wait. He's going to do what to you? He's going to do what to you if you don't forgive? Go back to the previous verse. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. This seems to be calling into question that if you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you're not going to be saved. If you don't forgive, you're going to be placed into hell to pay for your unforgiveness. And this has raised some serious theological questions. Yes? Just quickly. Just quickly, just grab, look up the word forgive, look up the word forgiveness. Look in the Gospels where you find some verses that seem to imply that if I don't forgive, I won't be forgiven. See what you can find, just quickly. Just quickly, I'll let you look them up. 
I already have them down, but see what you can find. See what you can find. Anything. You can find it in Matthew. You should find them really very quick. See what you can find. Okay, Matthew 6.14. It doesn't take long to find it. Matthew 6.14. Yeah, there's that if, right? For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Seemingly to mean, if I don't forgive, I'm not going to be forgiven. And I don't know if you understand how this works. If I'm not forgiven, I'm going to go to hell. That raises some serious questions. Does it not? Now that Matthew 6 passage... Where is that contained? In this sermon. See why I started that way? And what did Jesus say about the Sermon on the Mount? Be ye perfect. So immediately we know that this is what? Law. What does the law demand? You perfectly forgive. Has anyone ever perfectly forgiven? None of us. Right? So we already know we're in trouble. So how do we understand this? Well, let's go back and just, well, I'm not even going to go to the story. I'm not even going to go to the story because this is really what the, this is, whenever you teach on forgiveness, you can almost just do this. You can post the message online about forgiveness and all you have to do is go one, two, three, bing, you've got mail. And someone's going to say, well, wait a minute. If I'm supposed to forgive and I don't forgive perfectly, does that mean I'm not saved? You're going to get that question within... And guess what? I got that question this week. So what, what do you think we try to do? Well, I mean, Jesus is not saying that we have to forgive perfectly. That would destroy the whole purpose of the parable, right? No, you have to forgive. If you don't forgive, the Heavenly Father is going to do the same thing to you. Well, that, that doesn't work, all right? So then we would have to say, well, we can forgive perfectly. But let me ask you. You think of who's hurt you and you think of the situations where you've had to forgive. Do you ever know if you've truly forgiven? Because you think... You can think on, su- on Sunday night, sitting in church, oh, yeah, I forgave. And then all of a sudden, by Tuesday, something happens, and guess what happens? Bitterness, resentment, anger. I'm going to make you pay. I'm going to remind you of everything you've ever done wrong. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to hold it against you. I'm still going to view you as guilty. I'm still, and, and you haven't truly forgiven. And then you'll be like, man, what am I doing? What am I doing? Okay, I've got to let it go. Like, like, because you know what we do? Like on Sunday, sitting in the pew, we leave the net. And then we drive home. We're like, oh, I think I better go back and pick that net back up real quick, right? I'll throw it in the trunk so nobody sees it. And then you drive around with the net still in the trunk, right? Like, everybody's like, oh, look, they left the net. No, it's in the trunk. You just don't see it. Come on, right? All right, I guess I'm the only one, all right? Okay, it's there. Now, times I think it's gone. I think I left it, and then I'm not. It's not. It's still there. So this makes it very subjective, correct? So what do we do? Well, 
I'll give you a possible solution. All right? Oh, there's much more we could say here, but okay. But he gives them this parable. I'll just kind of just kind of summarize it. He gives a parable to illustrate how we ought to forgive. A servant was forgiven by a giant-sized debt of, say, more than $2 billion by his master. So this guy owes a, a debt like $2 billion, and the master does what? You're forgiven. That's, that's awesome. The master is in the one illustrating how God forgives our sins. How does God forgive my sins? Totally. They, he drops the net, right? Not only do, and, and, and when God forgives my sin, not only does he draw, drop the net, he throws the net into the deepest ocean. He removes it from me as far as the east is from the west. It's completely gone. It's per- completely forgiven. It's completely forgotten. And so therefore, when God forgives my sin, what can I say? Positionally, I'm a new creature in Christ. Old is gone. Everything is new. You are not supposed to see me because of my sin. You're to see me because of the perfect righteousness of Christ. That is a forgiveness that's insane to even comprehend, is it not? Because there's a lot of sin, at least for me. Okay, maybe, maybe not for you, but for me, I don't even know if two billion would cover all of my sins. Okay, maybe we'd just be getting started, okay? The, this, the master illustrates God who forgives all of our sins. Then that blessed man, the one who is forgiven of the two billion dollars, he goes out and he's like, Bobby, you owe me some money. You owe me four thousand dollars. What are you doing? He just got forgiven for $2 billion. Bobby owes him a little bit. Literally, the debt was 600,000 times smaller. When the debtor, Bobby starts begging, man, I'm sorry, look, I'm trying. I'm going to pay you at some point. He shows him no mercy. And it says, would throw Bobby into prison until the debt was paid. The man made a grave mistake. He should have greatly forgiven his debtors as the Lord had forgiven him. After all, any debt owed him was like pennies compared to the great debt his master had forgiven. We understand the story, right? Now, does the story help or does the story hurt? What do you think the story is there for? What do you think? There's two ways of looking at the story. He looks at the story to say, this is the way you are to forgive. Or he's telling the story to show, this is how much you have been forgiven of. Right? One, the focus is, this is what you're supposed to do. Or this is how much you've been forgiven. Or you could go, he is showing you what you're supposed to do and you're realizing how guilty you are. Is he giving the story to show how guilty we are when we don't forgive? I think the story increases guilt. I don't think it lessens guilt. I think it increases the guilt. Because then you realize every time I don't forgive how messed up I really am. And guess how many times I'm supposed to forgive that way? 70 times 7, right? I'm supposed to forgive people of a $2 billion debt 70 times 7. Who does that? Who does that? I mean, we'll we'll cut someone off really quick, right? 
Like, oh, no, no, that's it. That, that, this relationship is over. Three times? No. Yeah, I mean, come on, we're done. Look, we used to be brothers and sisters, but you ate, you ate, you know, the Cheerios three times and left the box empty. You're finished. We're, we're, you, you can, I'm going to tell the parents to give you up for adoption. We can't be, we can't be re- related anymore. That's it. You, you took the last bowl of cereal. Sometimes it's something small. And we're already done, ready to just end the relationship. Are we not? Yes? All right. So, just listen to this and see if we agree here. There are two aspects to the Lord's forgiveness. Positional and experiential, or positional and fellowship. They argue that both are seen in that parable in Matthew 18. When the master learned of his hypocrisy on his servant's part, he had him incarcerated until he should pay all that was due to him. The conclusion is this, so your heavenly father will also do this to each of you from his heart, uh, if from the heart he does not forgive his brother his trespasses. If the man was ready, already forgiven, he could, he, how could his master hold him accountable for not forgiving others? The initial forgiveness illustrates the positional forgiveness every believer has in Christ. Many passages indicate that the moment we believe in Christ, we are totally forgiven in terms of our position as eternal children of God. In Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1.14. He has forgiven you all your trespasses, having nailed them to the cross, Colossians 2.13-14. Can we agree the Bible seems to say that all of our sins are forgiven? All of them are forgiven. But positional forgiveness must not be understood to mean that we are always in fellowship with God. Forgiven people need forgiveness in order to remain in the fellowship with God. One commentator beautifully expressed this truth. An unforgiving spirit is sure to provoke the anger of God so much that his uh, his free forgiveness of sinners uh, ceases to flow to them when in this way they offend. So to speak, it revives the guilt of their already forgiven sins. Now, what they're trying to say here is we're forgiven of the $2 billion debt. When I don't go forgive, in a sense, this puts me back in conflict with the one I've been forgiven by. In other words, it creates hostility. It breaks that fellowship. It breaks that, that, that closeness. Does that make sense? doesn't destroy the position. It destroys the fellowship. Think of it this way. Are you ready? I'm supposed to leave the net and do what? Follow Christ. The minute I'm not forgiving others, in a sense, no matter what I want to say, what have I stopped doing? Following Christ. Does that end my salvation? No. That ends my fellowship. Because in a sense, Christ is still walking and I'm walking where? I'm coming back going, nope, I need my net back. That, and so guess what? I, I, guess what I go back into fellowship with? I'm either, think of it this way, I'm either in fellowship with Christ or I'm fellowship with what? My unforgiveness. I'm either in fellowship with that unforgiveness or I'm fellowship with Christ. If I'm in fellowship, what are the signs of being in fellowship with your unforgiveness? Anger, bitterness, anxiety, 
I mean, just your maybe nightmares, maybe you just having problem, depression, discouragement, because you just cannot let it go. What should be the sum of the signs of fellowship with Christ? Peace, joy, because not that, that you were hurt, not because those things have happened, but you, in a sense, have left them where? There. You are either in fellowship with Christ or you're in fellowship with your unforgiveness. Your positional forgiveness is secure, right? But in a sense, if you don't forgive, you almost put yourself back in a prison and you're going to pay because now you are giving up all of those benefits that come from forgiving, which is freedom, which is you've been, you've let it go. You're not carrying it around. Carrying my own sins around is hard enough. Carrying everyone else's sin against me around is just, your life becomes nothing but miserable. All right? Does that make sense? If we fail to forgive those who commit offenses against us, we will fall out of fellowship with God and stand in need of his fellowship forgiveness. There is what kind of forgiveness? Positional and fellowship. My positional is based off what? Christ. Fellowship is based off what? What my forgiveness to others. Does that make some kind of sense? Of course, failing to forgive others is not the only sin that can interrupt our fellowship with God. 1 John 1.9 is a key progressive sanctification verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Believers need to be honest with God concerning all sin in order to remain in fellowship with him. All right? Does that make some kind of sense? Now, so this, I don't, I don't think the verses that seem to imply, now let's make sure we understand this. The verses that seem to imply that I must forgive perfectly or I'm not saved has to be understood. First of all, there is some truth to that, right? Because I'm never going to forgive perfectly. But I'm in Christ, so all of my failures have been what? Forgiven. Does that make sense? At the same time, these verses that seem to imply that if I don't forgive, there's something wrong. In one sense, it's true in another way. It breaks my fellowship with God. So one, it's to drive me to Christ for my positional forgiveness, but it's to remind me that I may hurt my fellowship with God if I do not forgive. All right, has everybody got that? Now, we got about 10 minutes left. A couple of things. All right, I'm just going to mention this. Forgiving does not necessarily mean a relationship with. You can forgive someone who's hurt you, who's messed, did horrible things to you, messed you over, destroyed you. You know, sometimes you forgive and those other people could care less. They're not interested. They still are going to be rude to you, still use you, still abuse you, still do anything. Your job is to forgive. That's your Christian requirement. Why are you to forgive? Because of how much you've been forgiven. That's what you're called to do. That's what God calls you to do. 
You forgive, and you forgive primarily so that you can be in right fellowship with God. It's not so much about anything. You're for, you forgive, and you want to demonstrate that I'm forgiving you. And, and you know, of course, you don't want to say it in a way that makes you sound spiritual. But inside, you're forgiving because of how much you've been forgiven. But that doesn't mean that you have to constantly put yourself in a situation where it's just problems and pain and suffering. Sometimes you have to do this. You have to kind of wash your hands of the situation and go on. Now, if they call, if they need, you should be able to speak in a way that shows that you have forgiven. I'll just, the best, I can explain this, all right? The night I got ready to leave for the United States military, I, was, I wanted to be as gone as I could be gone, right? I wanted out of the state of Texas, never wanted to come back to this place. I didn't care if Texas was wiped off the face of the earth. I wanted it gone. I wanted to leave, okay, but, I, but there was a lot of emotions leaving, right, okay, my, you know, my mom had died, my, I thought I was going to have a relationship with my father, and he gets married basically a year after my mom's dead, where my mom's casket was, now he's standing marrying another woman, literally less than a year after her death, completely the whole thing's so messed up, right, she comes along and everything goes to garbage, okay, it's just a horrible situation, but I'm getting ready to leave, you think it would be somewhat of an emotional thing. I go to Allsup's to get a burrito and I come back and they're already measuring and change, getting ready to change my room. Like, they just want me gone. But when I left, I, I, I still held out some hope. Now, the point where I realized it was over is when I got deployed for Desert Storm and our plane broke down over New York City and we, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen and there was terrorist threats so they wouldn't let us off the plane. Finally, they get us off the plane. They take us to this like little room. Like, you know, all we can do is just kind of walk around in a circle because they don't want us to get shot or killed or whatever. And there's a phone. I'm like, I'm going to call my dad and tell him where I'm at. I don't have any money. So I have to make a collect phone call. My dad rejected it. And I kind of decided, I'm done. I think I had already decided, but that was really kind of the breaking point. Now, that means I wasn't going to no longer, I, 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 I got to let it go. I got to leave the net. I got to leave the net back in Texas. Now I got my, I, I, I have to focus on my family, my life, moving on, trying to follow Christ. Try, no matter how imperfect it is, I got to focus on that. Now it didn't mean that I tried to be mean or rude or, or, or but I just kind of was just done in a sense, right? In other words, I, I don't have to keep, you don't have to keep showing up for that over and over and over and over. Some people confuse that fellowship or that forgiveness means you've got to go back and be in a relationship and, and, and just continue to stay in that situation. Forgiveness means you let it go. The Bible doesn't articulate all of the implications of that. Does that make sense? Now, yes, the Bible would say things about a marital relationship and what you can and can't do there. I understand that. I'm just saying that we have this tendency to think that if I forgive, then I just like, hey, Bobby hit me twice. Hey, Bobby, what's... He keeps hitting me. And I, keep, and I just keep, come on, Bobby, I'll come over every day. Right? No, I, I think at some point, I think I'm going to get tired of being hit in the face. Right? So I forgive. Now, if Bobby calls and needs something, I'll say, I'll stand in the yard, tell me what you need, and I'll bring it to the door. Right? Because I don't want to get hit in the face anymore. Right? But I can still do what I can 
to demonstrate love even to... We're to love even our enemies. So I, try, I tried my best to have whatever kind of relationship I could with my father. Was never close. When I moved back here, we went out to eat a couple of times. He came over a couple of times. It was usually like, well, it's kind of been hot lately, right? Kind of pretty basic conversation. When he got cancer, I went, saw him. He tried, he kind of got emotional and was going to try to kind of apologize. I don't know what he was going to apologize for. I just kind of stopped it because what's the point? You're dying of cancer now, you know, just, you know. I, in other words, I didn't need his apology at that point. It didn't matter, right? And, you know, it, it kind of feels cheap when you wait till you're dying to say, you know what I'm saying? So, okay. So the point is, is there's, there's a line there. You may never be close with the person. You may never have a relationship with the person, that's okay. Let it go. Leave the net. And if you're a Christian, follow Christ. If you're not a Christian, all I can say is let it go for your own sanity and live your life. Right? That's the best advice I can give you if you're not a Christian. If you are a Christian, following Christ makes it a whole lot better because at least you're following something. You have a purpose. You have meaning. You have, you have something to live for versus that. Does that make some kind of sense? Does it? I hope it does. I know. And trust me, you, people will have questions. Well, what about this? And what about this? There's never an easy answer. Does Jesus really break it all down and how it's, he doesn't say, in this situation, here, here's what you always apply to the situation. I am to graciously forgive. I'm to graciously let it go and follow Christ. Doesn't mean that I may maintain a friendship or a closeness to the situation. It may mean you have to kind of just back away. That doesn't mean if they need something, you're not there. Doesn't mean that you are mean. Talk, no, because the minute you start acting in an un, unforgiving way, it demonstrates that you haven't forgiven. Another thing about forgiveness, forgiveness is not you saying that what they did was okay. Things my parents did were not okay. They were beyond evil. They were messed up. The stories I can tell just like, people like, that can't be real. It's just insane, the things that happened. So my forgiveness has nothing to do going, that's okay. No, it wasn't okay. And what makes it so hard to let go? What do you think makes it so hard to let go? Because we feel like we're letting them off the hook. We feel like that, wait a minute, you've got to pay. You've got to pay. You know what? Your unforgiveness doesn't really make them pay. (laughs) Because a lot of times those people who we have to forgive, they could care less if you forgive them or not. (laughs) Right? Rarely are they sitting at home going, I sure hope they've forgiven me. They usually are like, I don't really care if they ever forgive me. They don't really, you can't worry about that. Because the more you hold on thinking they're going to pay, guess who ends up paying? You, because you're carrying this, you're carrying this weight around. You're carrying this weight around. Why live your life carrying their weight? 
It's, it's kind of like the concept, like I, I'll never understand teenagers who worry about what other people think about them. I've never understood that. I didn't care. The minute I walked into high school, I'm like, I don't care what any of you think. I'm going to do what I want to do, right? And I've always been that way. Because, but here's the thing. So you worry so much about what other people think about you, you'd probably be shocked to realize how little they do think about you. They probably don't really care. And if they do care, it's only temporarily, they're going to forget about you, right? They're going to forget about you. So don't worry about that. Well, don't be preoccupied with what the person who you forgive, what they may be thinking or what they may be feeling. You just got to let it go and move on. You got to leave your net. You got to leave your net. And if you think about, think about the Christian life. In a sense, leave your net, deny yourself, die to yourself, follow Christ. Well, if you deny yourself, die to self, what are you holding on to? You're dead. You're now supposed to live in Christ. So what could you be holding on to? You want to hold on to it, and guess what? You'll come back and get it sometimes. Does that, does that help at all? I don't know if it helps. That's someone telling me you're done, okay? You're going to have to forgive, okay? I say I'm going to give you an opportunity, all right? But, and the other thing I want you to understand, does everyone understand the difference between positional and fellowship? Think about it this way. I can forgive Bobby, if you think about it, and this is how it kind of works with us, in a positional way, right? I'm supposed to forgive Bobby. Bobby is forgiven. Now, if Bobby comes and forgives me and... and seeks reconciliation and apologize, we may have fellowship. But he's still supposed to be always positionally forgiven because I'm supposed to just forgive. Does that make sense? Well, with Christ, I am forgiven positionally, right? But what can hurt my fellowship with Christ? My unforgiveness of someone else, right? And that, that I have to forgive. Right? Same thing, and think about it this way. Positionally, I'm forgiven and I'm perfectly forgiven for all my sins, right? That's positionally. What happens if I continue to sin and I don't confess those sins to God, talk about those sins, or, or even try to turn from those sins? What happens to my fellowship with God? 1 John 1, 9. So do you see how positional and fellowship really works even in real life? You can positionally forgive anyone. I've been forgiven. You are forgiven. Maybe there will never be fellowship. Now, if that person, according to Matthew 18, what do you do if the person says, I'm sorry, I was wrong? They're supposed to be, it's supposed to be forgiven, and there should be able to be fellowship at that point. Yes? All right. But I want to make sure, in your Christian life, you are perfectly forgiven in Christ. Nothing can impact that. Are you to forgive others? Yes. If you don't, you, in a sense, put yourself in a prison and you hurt your fellowship with God. That's the only way we can understand this because if, you, if we don't understand it that way, guess what your other option is? The only way you know you're saved is to know that you've forgiven everyone and I don't know if I've ever forgiven everyone. And even if I've forgiven everyone today, there's a good chance tomorrow 
I may find myself not forgiving. Do you see how weird your salvation would be in a complete mess? Now, some of you may go and like, no one's ever done a wrong thing to me and I've never had to forgive anyone because I've had a great life. Well, congratulations. The rest of us messed up, people. Whew. We've gone through all kinds of things, right? Broken relationships, this, and that, and maybe abuse. Who knows what? Maybe things that people don't even know. Just remember, let it leave the net and follow Christ. And it doesn't mean what they did to you was right. Please don't walk away saying, oh, that, wh- no, what they did was wrong. The, the reason you're forgiving is because what they did was wrong. <laughs> okay? now, you forgiving them is acknowledging that what they did was wrong. And I know deep down you may want them to pay. Deep down you may want them to, to acknowledge. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes it can be your own mother. I never, I mean, you know, it was a Wednesday when my mother called me. I wasn't living with my family anymore and said, hey, on Sunday, come to the house. I'm like, okay. I don't know what was going to happen at that meeting. Because Friday at school, I get called to the principal's office. You've got to get to the hospital. And it was over. So I don't know if there would have ever been reconciliation. It didn't happen. I never heard, I'm sorry. I never heard apology. Never heard anything. My dad did more confessing his wrong to Stacy than he ever did confessing the wrong to me. Okay. Stacy probably knows more about things that, that my dad thought than I know, okay, which is just bizarre. He, he told her things. He wouldn't talk to me, which, okay, whatever. But the point is, is sometimes you never hear those words. So I can't put it this way. I can't spend my life sitting in the Buffalo Gap Cemetery. You can't live your life back at wherever it went wrong. Wherever the abuse happened, wherever the hurt happened, wherever the betrayal. Please, I beg you. You got to let it go. My sister can never let it go. That turned into a nightmare. Drugs almost destroyed her life. Now, she's clean. She made a profession of faith. She's been baptized. She's been clean, what, a little over a year now? A little over a year now. So, but it took her most of her life to get over everything that happened. And she's probably still not over it. But anytime you were around her, guess what she wanted to talk about? Everything that went wrong. My brother, same thing. Alcoholism almost destroyed his life. Now, the only reason I didn't end up that path is not because I was better than anyone, because at least I, was try- I had something to try to follow. Right? I still carried the emotional baggage and made stupid mistakes and all of the issues in my life that, as a result of it, because you're, you're always scarred by it. But man, you've got to leave the nets. All right, I'll have to stop there. Lord God, we come before you this evening. We are grateful for your forgiveness. We don't deserve it. You freely gave. You gave in a gracious way. and You've forgiven us for every wrong, every sin, every hurt, every thought, every deed. And you've done so perfectly. Lord, you call us to forgive others. And we're not so good at doing that. And we understand that when we don't, it hurts our fellowship with you. Help us be the type of people who can forgive so that we can maintain a proper fellowship with you 
and forgive us for our unforgiveness because we all struggle with it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,